Well, I want to thank Ronnie and Larissa and the worship team for preparing our hearts for this moment. And so we're going to continue worshiping through the reading of God's Word together. If you have a Bible with you or you follow along on your smartphone, let me encourage you to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians, and so this is a letter from a follower of Jesus named Paul to Christians in the city and area of Thessalonica. So whenever we read to the Thessalonians, it is as if the Holy Spirit is actually saying to the Av Southers in 2020, this is a good word for us as well. And so as you're turning there, uh, let me share with you that I am incredibly stoked about Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving has been one of my favorite holidays. I even mentioned to somebody in my family years ago, like, I kind of like Thanksgiving sometimes better than Christmas. And you would have thought I slapped him in the face. Because Christmas can't be undone. That's the birth of Christ, right? We celebrate those things. Listen, I love the leaves falling. It has been unseasonably warm a little bit this weekend, but the leaves are falling. It is officially flannel and plaid attire weather. This is good. And I used to always love going to my grandparents' house as a kid. I always looked forward to being at my grandmother's house. She would make pumpkin pies, apple pies. I looked forward to hearing the stories about how my dad and his two brothers grew up in this bedroom and how they wrestled and and how they made forts throughout the neighborhood. Like I always loved going to my grandmother's house for Thanksgiving until the year that I got the chicken pox, until the year that I got the chicken pox. And when I was six years old, I got the chicken pox and that for me ruined Thanksgiving. It ruined Thanksgiving because right, like I wasn't going to be allowed to go or to be a part of because I didn't want anybody to get sick with chicken pox. Who wants to be the guy that brought that up into the family celebration, right? And I allowed it to ruin Thanksgiving. Now, I like to cut myself some slack as a child. I mean, that was my world. That was a pretty big deal. The reason I'm illustrating that or sharing that with you is for some of us, this year it is so different And at the risk of saying unusual and unprecedented, which we're all tired of hearing those words, for many of us, think about it. It's going to play out practically in the days and week ahead. For many of us, our rhythms and routines have been changed because of the pandemic that we're living through. Groups are being encouraged to be smaller. There are church members in our congregation who have chosen not to go home or to see family this year. We even have members in our congregation who are going home But I grieve that I've missed seeing them the last two weeks because they've chosen to self-quarantine so that they can potentially protect themselves from getting virus or or any kind of germs that they would take to their immunocompromised or vulnerable family members. It is an unusual and awkward time, and it might be tempting to let all of those circumstances and all of those frustrations steal our joy about celebrating good things. And if that's how you feel, or if you feel that way at all in the days and weeks ahead, especially as we roll into the season of Christmas where we celebrate the birth of Christ, the reason that God woke us up, brought us together in the room and online is to remind us that in the midst of this, there is much to be celebrated and our hearts should be full. And for no other reason than God has loved us extravagantly through the finished work of Jesus and that we have each other, brothers and sisters in Christ, as the family of God. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see where this is true in Scripture. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word this morning as we read from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. It says, But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, who are loved by the Lord, because from the beginning of time God has chosen you for salvation. 
through sanctification by His Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught, whether by what we said or what we wrote. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. But we ought to thank God always for one another and for the love of God that's been expressed for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the hope and the good news that it is to us. For some of us in the week ahead, it will be life as normal. And we will lean in and press forward with the rhythms and the routines of celebrating with friends and families or coworkers as best we can. For others of us, even in our own well-intended efforts, it just feels different. It doesn't feel the same. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's anything your church can agree on, it is that our hearts should be full and there's so much to be thankful for. First of all, for the way that you have brought us together as brothers and sisters. You've bonded us together and you've done that through the finished work of Jesus. And that is what we celebrate the most, not only in the week ahead, but definitely at this moment and season of our lives. And we say and pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, one of the things that I have been looking for throughout 2020 is good news. I've been looking for good, hopeful things to celebrate, to talk about, to discuss, to reflect upon. The word gospel literally means good news. And there is good news for us as a church to celebrate. One of the things that Paul says when he's writing to the Christians in Thessalonica is that he says, I thank God for you. I don't know if you saw that in verse 13. If you have your scripture open, look with me in verse 13. But we ought to thank God always, not just sometimes, not just seasonally. We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters. In verse 13, brothers and sisters. In verse 15, brothers and sisters. There is that theme of not just being gathered together or worshiping corporately for one hour a week on a Sunday, but being knitted, bonded, and fused together as a family. One of the greatest benefits of following Jesus Christ, we don't follow Jesus for what we get out of it, but one of the most wonderful things is that we are not only saved from our sin and brought into relationship with Jesus Christ, but then he places us in a family of like-minded individuals. That none of us have this figured out, but God helping us We are putting one foot in front of the other, and together we are strengthened, we are encouraged, we are built up, we are edified, that there is a family here. God is building something together, and we are all needed and all have something to contribute. Paul says this twice in just the few verses we read here. Be grateful that we're a church. Be grateful that we're not the individuals of God, we're the people of God. Two weeks ago, I read from 1 Peter. Peter, a follower of Jesus, said it so many times I got tired of hearing it. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. Last week, our dear brother John, another follower of Jesus in 1 John, said brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. 
let us not neglect what is being pounded home in our hearts and in our minds that we should be grateful and we should give thanksgiving for one another. In our own church, there's much to be grateful for. Listen, this is one of the most difficult times to really get an accurate picture of of how a church functions because so much of it is virtual and so much of it is distanced. Oftentimes, we're not able to get a real good picture of any church. What are their programs? What are their ministries? What are they about? This is one of the most challenging times to participate and join in a church for many people. But did you know that last month there were over 13 people that either, either joined or started the membership process to become part of our family? who said, I want to publicly profess faith in Jesus Christ, and I want to unite myself to this body of believers, who, as our mission statement says, is committed to engaging the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ, anywhere, at any time, with anybody. Listen, there are things happening behind the scenes that we may not all be aware of that are, that are worthy of thanksgiving and celebration. That's just one example. You've heard a couple of others. In the month of November, nearly 5,000 pounds of food were given, the generosity of this congregation, 5,000 pounds of food were given to help address food insecurity in our community. Many of the schools that we partner with, two in particular, Carter Lawrence Elementary, and now we're getting a little bit more involved with Waverly Belmont School on 10th Avenue, right next to us. Many of the students are on free and reduced lunches. Think about being out from now, maybe throughout the rest of the semester, if that decision is made. Could be made. We all know that. Think about how important that is. There are good things happening, and we have much to be grateful for, the generosity of God at work in us and through us. But more than being grateful that we're in this together and God's doing great things through the people here, did you notice what Paul said that's even more important than being grateful for one another? Look at verse 13 with me. We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, but why? Because you've been loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. What Paul says here is, I'm so grateful for the church and I'm grateful for the great things that we are a part of. But more than that, we ought to give praise and thanksgiving if we have nothing else to get excited about right now. We ought to be thankful and grateful that God has chosen us. And he has pursued us and he has brought us into relationship through our faith in Jesus Christ. We ought to be grateful that God didn't even spare his only son to provide him as an atonement for our sin and our brokenness and to ransom us from a lost future and to place us into relationship with himself and to give us hope and a purpose and a future and a reason for getting up in the morning. Paul says we have salvation and that is something we should be grateful for. You know, normally when you thank someone, you're thanking them for what they've done. We thank you for what you've done for us. Have you ever thanked someone if they've given you a gift card or maybe delivered you a meal? And you thank them for what they've done, right? I want you to realize what Paul's doing here. He's not thanking the Thessalonians for what they've done. There's great things happening in that church. There's great things happening in this congregation, But he says, what I'm most happy about, what I'm most content over, what I'm most grateful for that deserves thanksgiving, how appropriate at this time of year, what gives me the most gratitude is not what you've done, but what God has done on your behalf. One of the most important things for us to remember is there was nothing about the Thessalonians, there was nothing about us that would cause God to choose to love us. There's nothing we did to induce that. It's because of God and his character and his love for us that he chose us for salvation. 
And the Bible says right here, he did that through the finished work of Jesus. And when we place faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Jesus, the Holy Spirit, applies what happened on the cross to our lives. In verse 14, he's called us to this eternal life through our gospel, that's the good news of Jesus, so that we might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to this. Stand firm and hold to this. Now, the phrase there, stand firm, kind of paints a word picture. And the imagery in the original language is like when a, when a strong gust of wind, I mean, a really strong gust of wind suddenly comes upon you and threatens to knock you down. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a strong gust of wind. Maybe you've been in hurricane-type weather or tornado-type weather. Uh, this past spring, early in April, I experienced something very similar where I was desperate to stand firm. One of the things that you got to look for in a pandemic is you got to find the good in the middle of the bad. And the local government provided free of charge anyone who wanted to walk nine or 18 holes on any of the local golf courses. It's the small things in life. I realize that's not a lot of eternal significance, but that's where the good stuff is when you're dealing with a global pandemic. And my son, who's really good at golf, I am awful at golf. If you went to watch me play, you would know I'm not skipping out and work to go to the golf course. You'd see the evidence that I don't practice golf. I'm not good at it. I can't even help him with golf, but he loves to go. So my 15-year-old loves to go. My 13-year-old is like, if y'all are going, I'm going. Let's get in on this. And so what dad does when he goes is I caddy their golf clubs. I caddy their golf clubs. I lug those things around, and they're like, give me a nine iron, give me an eight iron, and I pull it out, and I hand it to them. And they play, and I watch. And honestly, as a parent, I get greater joy in watching them flourish and enjoy than me competing. And plus, I don't want to look at my scorecard after we finished. Now, on this particular Sunday afternoon, I had heard that there might be some inclement weather, right? When you hear inclement weather, like, what does that mean anyway, right? So we went out, and we played, and I put my cell phone in the golf bag. I missed what seemed like 20-plus texts from my wife that afternoon that said, Nashville severe weather, if you don't follow them, you might want to. Nashville severe weather is saying there's a storm, and if they say it, it's going to happen. But I didn't get that. But I did see the clouds turning pink and then red and then black, and it felt like an Armageddon moment. And the wind went from real nice and calm on a wonderful afternoon, a, a father and son's bonding moment, to turbulent and violent, and I looked back after, and, and, and at the airport, said the winds got up to 60 to 70 miles an hour, and it came on us, like Scripture says, almost like a thief in the night. It was on us before we knew what to do, and the rain started coming down, and when the wind blows, you ever been in a storm like that, and the rain blows sideways, and it was sharp. We had hats on. We pulled them down. It was hurting our eyes. It was stinging our skin, and, and I'm a pretty big guy, but I, I, I picked my foot up. I was like, come on, guys, I'll lead the way if we just get to the car. And I thought, I'll set an example. I'm going to be the leader of our little golf group here. And I picked my foot up in those 60-mile-an-hour winds, and it was so strong, I put it down right in the same spot that I picked it up from. It was so strong, I literally, as big as I am, I could not move forward. Now, listen, I turned around and glanced over my shoulders, and the boys were scared. They were very scared. Lightning was hitting the ground near us. It was like rattling things. It was very scary. And listen, as a parent, the secret sauce is even, it's okay for you to be scared, just don't show them you're scared. As long as they don't know you're scared, it's all good. Listen, there's many reasons I don't play cards. One of them is I have no poker face. I turned around, daddy was scared, kids are scared, we were all screaming and running and doing the best we could to stand firm. And it was scary. It was unsettling. Now, how many of us in 2020, maybe you didn't go play golf, maybe you didn't get caught in a tornado, maybe you've never been in a hurricane, 
But how many of us, because of what came on us so suddenly in March and continues, even when you get a little bit forward momentum, something else happens that slows us down. Something else happened that feels like a strong gust of wind coming at us and stopping us. We get unsettled. We, we don't feel like we have firm footing and we long to have some certainty, to have some settledness. One of the things that the Thessalonians were dealing with was that they knew Jesus had already come. He came to die for us on the cross. And then he had been resurrected and ascended into heaven with the Father. Scripture had told, and it tells us, there's a day coming when Jesus will return. This is a beautiful but a broken world. COVID-19 makes us very aware of that. There are other things that aren't right. There's broken relationships. There's awkward conversations. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us are not looking forward to some interesting family dynamics in the weeks ahead? Or maybe you know someone who is. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to say, that's me. But we know that's life, right? One of the things that was unsettled and was very nerve-wracking for the Thessalonians is they were looking forward to the second coming of the Lord because when Jesus returns, he will restore all that is wrong. He will redeem all that is broken. And he will remake a new heaven and a new earth and there won't be any more COVID. Praise God. There won't be any cancer. There won't be any sickness. There won't be any more anger or frustration in our hearts at others. There won't be any just wishing you could redo something that maybe other people have forgiven you for, but you can't forgive yourself for in your past. There'll be none of that. And the Thessalonians were looking forward to that, just as we are. One of the things 2020 has done for me, every bit of 2020, has given me and our marriage, Amy and I, and in our family with our parenting, has given us a deeper craving and hunger to pray consistently over and over, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. A long and hunger for the kingdom and the limitless, unending, eternal reign of Jesus to be unleashed on this planet. Come Lord Jesus. And that's what the Thessalonians were really looking forward to. And somebody had told them that it had already happened. If you read 2 Thessalonians, go back and read this letter. It's a quick and easy read. If you go back and read, somebody had told them, hey, it's already happened. Now, that wasn't true, and it hasn't happened yet for us. But somebody had told them it's already happened. Think about a group of people who are longing and waiting and anticipating the Lord to remake and restore and renew, and somebody had already told them it had already happened. Now, they weren't necessarily immature people, but they just weren't super strong and built up and edified in their faith where they thought, man, that, that's not true. That's not what Scripture says. That's not what we've been told. Listen, it's very important who you listen to and who you let speak truth into your life. It's very important who you listen to and who you let speak into your life. These are Christians, and somebody comes along who sounded good and told them, that's already happened, you guys missed it. Talk about FOMO, fear of missing out. We missed the second coming. That's a pretty big deal. They were scared, they were fearful, they were nervous, they were unsettled. So they were dealing with the same things we were, just different. I, I, don't, I don't know if anybody woke up this morning and thought, did I, miss, did I miss Jesus' return? Maybe not. But how many of us are unsettled? So the Apostle Paul gives us something that's applicable. If you feel that way at all, this week, the week ahead, throughout the holidays, the years ahead, unsettled, looking for stability, not, not at peace, what does he say? Look with me in your scripture and circle the phrase, so then, brothers and sisters, stand firm in verse 15. Stand firm. Stand firm. Say those two words. Stand firm. Now listen, when I tried to stand firm in that storm, what happened? No good. Like, 
I, I'm big, I'm strong. That's not an arrogant statement. Like, I, I think those are facts. Like, I'm trying to move forward, and in my own strength, I was worthless. And there was nothing more humbling or terrifying than to say, I can't take care of me, I can't take care of you. But spiritually speaking, when you and I see things that scare us, it makes us unsettled, it makes us uneasy, it makes us frustrated, it makes us angry, it makes us apathetic. You, as beautiful, awesome, and talented as our congregation is, in your own strength, you don't have the ability to stand firm consistently. You don't. We don't. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to give you a zinger. You and I don't have limitless resources of energy, strength, confidence, and staying power. We just don't. So what did Paul say? When you hit those moments, stand firm on the teachings that have been told to you. That's what verse 15 says. Stand firm on the teachings that have been handed down to you. Now that was, he says, whether through what we said or what we wrote. And one of the things Paul would do is when he showed up at a, at a place in a city to plant a church, he would preach the good news of Jesus. He would verbally tell them. Then he would travel like he's doing now. He was most likely in the city of Corinth when he wrote this letter back to the Thessalonians. He's writing them a letter. He had already written them one letter. So he's like, whether you've heard me speak this in front of you, whether you've read one of my letters or heard from one of the other followers of Jesus, you know the truth that was passed down to you from Scripture. If you'll stand firm on this, you'll make it through the hard times. On your own, you can't. But in Christ and the promises of his word which come through in the person of Jesus, you will. Now listen, I know I talk about it a lot, and I've talked about it a lot this, this past sermon series. One of the reasons we feel that you need to be in biblical community with others, a life group, a Bible reading group, a mentor relationship, is because what you will receive because of it. Three really good reasons for you to be in biblical community with others. This is where we stand firm. Listen, if you and I hear, if you hear the call, stand firm, stand firm. Pastor said, stand firm. We need to stand firm. Well, how do I do that? There's 167 other hours in the week, more than Sunday morning. Put yourself in biblical community with others because number one, that's where your soul is fed spiritually. Many of us will, like, I love pecan pie, okay? Like, I love pecan pie and full confession. I will be tempted to eat two or three slices and I will have to show self-control and discipline. Lord Jesus, I need help here. I'm looking forward to eating pecan pie. You looking forward to eating turkey and dressing, cranberry sauce, or you thumbs up, thumbs down on cranberry, like right? Yes? Okay. We're going to be doing a lot of eating perhaps in the week ahead. The Bible says that physical training and therefore physical nourishment is of some value, but spiritual nourishment has an eternally lasting significance. One of the reasons, one of the things that you benefit from, one of the purposes of getting into a biblical community is so that you can be strengthened by the word, and that often happens in the presence of other followers of Jesus. I don't know if you noticed what Paul prayed for him in verse 17. Did you see that, what he prayed for him? I pray that your hearts would be encouraged. How many of us need encouragement? We need good news, right? And I pray that you would be strengthened. I pray that you would be strengthened. One of the authors that I enjoy reading about is a gentleman by the name of D.A. Carson. I enjoy reading his study of the Word and what he sees in certain texts. And when he talks about encouragement that we get from standing firm in the Word of God, think about this in light of what you're facing now, what we're facing as a planet. He says it's an eternal encouragement. What Paul's talking about here is something that's lasting. It's eternal. It's not just encouragement to get through a particular crisis. Hello, we need that now. Because this encouragement is also grounded in what is to come. It comes from eternity in God's love. And it works to eternity in the new heaven and the new earth 
brought about by Christ himself when he returns. You can't get better encouragement than what's offered here by standing firm. You don't only need the encouragement of how to get through the next issue. You don't only need encouragement for how to get through the next chemo treatment. You definitely need encouragement for that, and my wife has been through that and needed that. But you need something more on the other side of the struggle. You need encouragement that is an eternal encouragement, an eternal strengthening because of this good hope that God has provided. Not merely a hope for something better around the next corner, but this good hope of the prospect of a new heaven and a new earth and a home of righteousness. Now that is good encouragement and hope that can only come from standing firm on the promises of God that are found in Scripture. That's what it means to stand firm. Now, if you're not in communion, if you're not studying the Word, if you're not feasting off of this with your soul, you're going to get rattled, you're going to get nervous, you're going to have the fear of missing out on God's great works. But you don't have to. You don't have to wrestle and struggle with that alone. That's why He's given us His Word. The second thing is, you know your identity. When you get in community with other people and you stand firm on the Word of God as an individual in your own daily reading and feasting off the Word, but you get together with others, you begin to really take hold of your identity in Christ and who God says you are. Did you notice what he said in verse 1? You are loved by the Lord because from the beginning he chose you. Throughout Scripture, we are called the chosen people of God. God doesn't just put up with us because he has to. He wants to be with us. In the Garden of Eden, what God wanted was a people he could be in relationship with. Even after Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden, which is passed down to us as original sin, it will not stop God from his original purpose of having a people unto himself that he can be in relationship with. That's why we need Jesus. Because Jesus' perfect body and perfect blood purchased our ransom from sin and offered healing and wholeness for our brokenness in a way we can't do for ourselves. We stand firm in the reality that we're loved. Hear me, sister in Christ. Hear me, brother in Christ. You are loved. How many of us wish our parents would tell us that? How many of us, Thanksgiving and Christmas, I mean, don't buy me anything. How many of us just wish we could hear our parents tell us, I'm proud of you? How many of us work at our jobs because we want our supervisor to say, you measure up, good job. Now, there is a tremendous difference in working for and living for approval instead of operating out of the overflow of approval. When you stand firm in the truth of Scripture that is manifest and completed in the person of Jesus, you take hold of and you stand strongly knowing, look, I'm not perfect and I have mistakes and there are things that I can't redeem or restore, but praise God through Jesus Christ doing what he did on my behalf and my faith in him to invite him into my life and to make that possible for me, I am a new creation in Christ. I can begin again. I can start over again. And when I wake up in the morning, my life has purpose and it has meaning because I'm chosen. I'm loved. He wants to be with me. If you know that about yourself, it sure would be nice to hear our parents say they love us. It sure would be nice to have a boss tell us we measure up. But you don't need that. And your world is not rocked or unsettled if you don't get that. That's one of the things it means to stand firm, to fix your eyes on a fixed point. I wonder if when Paul was hanging out with the Thessalonians, he ever told him the story about Peter sinking in the Sea of Galilee. Do you remember when Jesus was walking on the water in the Sea of Galilee and the disciples saw him 
And Peter says, hey, if it's really you, call me to come to you. I want to walk on water. Now listen, Peter gets criticized a lot for sinking because he ultimately sank, but give that brother some credit. He's the only one who said, like, tell me to come to you. And for the rest of his life, he could be like, yeah, I sunk, but those first three steps were phenomenal, y'all. But the Bible says when he saw the wind and the waves and he looked down, he began to sink because he took his eyes off of the fixed point of Jesus. I wonder if, I wonder if Paul told the Thessalonians that story when he was with them. I wonder if the Lord wants us to remember the way you stand firm is you keep your eyes on Jesus. You put them on a fixed point in the midst of uncertainty. You ever been on a stormy sea? You get sick and nauseous? I have. You know what the, the, the driver of the boat told me? Pick out a fixed point on the shore and keep your eyes on it. And you'll get through this. That's what it means to stand firm, y'all. And there are practical ways to do that. In community with others, studying the word, not neglecting coming together as the church in moments like this and other opportunities of service. Listen, Paul says over and over, there's so much to be thankful for. Look at what he's doing in our church. But over and above that, the reason we're the people of God, the reason we're the brothers and sisters, the reason we can be confident in our identity and we can know that our lives matter and that we are loved and that there is good work in what's happening here to accomplish the purposes of God is because of what he's done for us in Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think I can summarize it any simpler than to say, like, if all we have is Jesus, then we could spend a hundred lifetimes returning thanks to the Lord and it would never be enough. We have everything we need in Christ. My prayer for me, my prayer for us is that we would be fully satisfied and content in that truth and that that would be the fixed point that we stand firm on in a pandemic until a vaccine is available as economic challenges shake the foundations of our lives. So one of the things I want us to do practically is for us to stand firm and to be reminded, to drive a stake in the ground before Thanksgiving, before all those interactions, before the new normal of how the holidays will play out, is to stand firm on the promises that we just saw revealed in Scripture. So if you're in this room, let me encourage you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. If you're joining us online, I want to encourage you to make yourself comfortable and do your best to eliminate distractions if that's possible. I'm very aware of the families that may have Kids even wrestling on the floor or running around the house. Whatever you can do to try to find some time of reflection. Ronnie, Larissa, Dave are going to come up here on the platform and, and they're just going to play softly for just the next couple of minutes. But if you're here in this room, I, I want to encourage you to take this, this cup and this piece of bread that's in your chair. If you're at home, I want to encourage you to take the elements of bread and juice if you have those available to you. Now, y'all know that we're doing this when we meet in person because we, we want to remove contact and do everything we can to keep everybody safe, especially to look out and love well those who are vulnerable. So peel back the top foil. It's a little tricky, but peel back that clear plastic covering at the top of this cup and take out that piece of bread. The prophet Isaiah, while you're getting that bread and holding it in your hand, the prophet Isaiah said that while Jesus' body was on the cross, it was broken. And Jesus never sinned. He was perfect. When he became human, he never gave up any of his divinity. And while he was on the cross, he absorbed in his body our sinfulness, our brokenness, our sicknesses, our diseases, our viruses... So that when he died with those things and he was raised without them on him, he can offer us a world without COVID. May not be in this lifetime, but when he returns, he will unleash a world without brokenness and sickness. 
That's why this bread matters. When you eat pie, when you eat turkey, when you eat dressing this week, you remember the body of Christ, which was broken for you to provide that. Take now and eat all of it. Now, let me encourage you to peel back the foil seal on the juice that you now hold in your hand. And as you look at that juice, it it is not the literal body or blood of Christ that we hold in our hand. I think you know that, but I just want to make sure we're all on the same page there. What does drive home a point, though, is the deep, rich red color. It's almost deep purple, like the real color of, of, of thick blood. And the idea there is for us to realize this is symbolic of the blood of Jesus, which was shed on the cross for us. His perfect blood offered as a covering so that when we ask Jesus into our lives, we choose to follow him. The Father looks at us and he sees Jesus' reputation on us and in us. And that's how we measure up. Forgiveness of sins, new life, do-over, second chances, new creations in Christ. There's no one in this room There's no one in our community or in our world that is beyond redemption because of the blood of Christ. This is the cup of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Take now and drink all of it. And let me invite you to take just the next 120 seconds or so. Dave will continue to play softly. If you're at home or in the room, take the next couple of minutes. And you commune, you journal, you talk, speak with the Lord in whatever way you need to in response to our entire time of worship today. You may want to invite Jesus into your life. You may want to say, hey, what what we saw in Scripture about being chosen, beloved, I want to believe that about me. Make it so today, Lord. It may be that you want to present to him a relationship or a decision or something that's um, unsettling in your life. And you want to say, I want to stand firm. I want to know how to make it through this. Lord, help me. Maybe you want to pray that. If nothing else, say, Lord, give me a heart that's grateful for salvation. And if I don't receive anything else in the weeks ahead, if I have nothing else to get excited about, Lord, let me be content in that. But you pray as you feel led. And then Ronnie and Larissa will ask us to stand and sing in response to that.